Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am O'Brien McMahon, and this is People Business. Every business is in some way a people business. From Silicon Valley to the restaurant down the street, every business relies on groups of people working together toward a common cause. That's no easy task. While the world around us has evolved into a high-tech, interdependent matrix, our individual software is largely the same as it was 10,000 years ago. We are social, emotional animals balancing a need to fit in with a desire to stand out. This is a show that explores individual and interpersonal dynamics, helping you become your best self while making the most of your business and the people in it. If you enjoy this episode, make sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with future guests. That's it. Enjoy the show. This week, I'm joined by Pam Evanson, sales coach at Lappin 180, a coaching and consulting firm that helps sales teams and individuals change the conversation when it comes to their approach on selling. I am thrilled to have Pam on. I've worked with Pam for a number of years. She has been my uh, personal sales coach and has worked with our team for a long, long time. And every time I talk to Pam, whether it's on a specific uh, opportunity that I'm chasing through work or just about sales in general. Uh, she always has an incredible perspective to share. She's really thoughtful when it comes to selling, partnering with other people and, and helping other people. And I think she's got a take that people will really like and, and that will be really helpful to a lot of you. In this episode, we talk about the mindset you need to be a successful salesperson, the questions that you should be asking a prospect, but more importantly, the questions you should be asking yourself on each opportunity, and how to close while still serving the customer. There's a lot of great stuff in here. I'm happy to share this with you. Here is Pam Evanson. And we are live with one of my favorite people on the planet, Pam Evanson. Pam, welcome to the show. I am thrilled to have you on here. I knew when I started this that I was going to force you into it, and uh, here we are. So looking (laughs) forward to it. Thank you, O'Brien. I am actually looking forward to this as well. So Pam has been my sales coach for probably seven years now. I've been working with Almost. the founder of her company, Lappin 180, for 10 years. And Pam took over our account and uh, stepped in and has been helping us sort out our mess for the last seven or so years. And I, I have been a salesperson my whole career. I find this super fascinating. So I, I'm looking forward to picking your brain more than I normally do here and getting into some stuff maybe that we don't <laughs> talk about. So to start off, would you pitch Lappin 180 in the work that you do? Oh, tough one for me to answer there, O'Brien. Sell me, sell me Lappin 180. (laughs) In a nutshell, O'Brien, we're a sales coaching firm. We take a different approach when it comes to your role and responsibility as a salesperson. And and that approach, I like to say it's, it's combined of two things, effort how you approach your effort and how you approach your conversation. So in a nutshell, 10,000 foot view, that's what it looks and feels like. Okay. And and what is so different about that versus what traditional selling might be? We actually want to coach you to stop selling. Okay. Well, we'll get into that. Before we do, I thought it would be fun as I was thinking through how we might structure this uh, to start with the question who is the best salesperson you've ever bought from? 
believe it or not, the best salesperson I've ever bought from was a car salesman. And his name was Josh. He was absolutely outstanding in his ability to help me figure out exactly what I wanted in my car purchase. Bar none, best experience I've ever had. So what, I mean, what made that better than a normal experience? Because there are a lot of people out there who help you figure out what you want. What made that so special? So he took it to a next level. And I agree with you. There's a lot of people that would say, I help people every day with what they want. So I'll give you kind of my thoughts on why this was so was so different. I'm, I'm a car person. Every three years, I lease a new car. I think when you grow up never having a new car, it, it becomes something that's like, just, I love to do it. So, and I'm a perfect candidate for leasing with how much I travel. So every three years, I like to lease a car. Perfect example. I go in and I'm deciding between three different types of vehicles. The first two places I walk in, you know, your, your standard questions. What are you looking for? What do you like? What do you dislike? As soon as I verbalize those things, they tell me their version of what I just said. So if I said, real technology is really important to me. I like the latest and greatest. Safety is super important to me. And comfort is really, really important to me. Great. Let us show you how we do all of those things. Then I go to Josh. And, I, and same thing. He asked me a couple of these same questions. What's important to you? What do you like? What do you don't like? And I gave that same spiel, technology, comfort, and safety. O'Brien, here's what was very different about Josh. He says, okay, let me understand exactly what you mean and why. And I said, okay. He said, technology, let's start there. Why is technology one of the most important criteria to you? And I said, because I just love the new bells and whistles and I want to have the latest and greatest in my car. He said, all right, the car you just turned in had an unbelievable navigation system in it. Talk to me. How much did you use it? Are you looking for something comparable? And O'Brien, I looked at him and I said, Josh, I, I didn't use a navigation system once, not, not one time in my <laughs> isn't current that, car. Isn't that what my Apple Maps is for? <laughs> or my uh, Google Maps? And he said, all right, okay. So what, what do you use for? And I said, I, my, my, my phone. And he said, okay. So maybe, maybe technology isn't necessarily that important to you when it comes to GPS. And I, I just looked at him and I said, it may not be, but you're, you're the first one who's gotten me to really think through the fact that it may not be. And O'Brien, he took this same approach with me on everything that I was saying. And by the end of my time with him, what I thought I wanted wasn't even close to what I needed. So when I say great experience, it's because I felt like he helped me make the very best decision for me. And I thought I knew what that was until he had the guts to ask me more around that. And, and it is still today the greatest experience, sales experience I've had. And that was only four years ago. Huh. You know, I wonder, as you're saying that, there's a part of me that thinks the reason that that was such a memorable experience too. I mean, one, he helped you think through it and he really did his job and, and was a good consultant to you. But at the same time, 
Like there's something about if you had just walked in, said what you wanted, and he had been like, this is exactly what you want. And it was, and you walked out the door. That's not really a memorable experience, but to have walked in, have had your mind changed, maybe felt a little embarrassed that you had wanted some of those things, right? There's like some emotional tie there. And then to have had somebody change your mind, like there's something that goes on in that process that like makes it a more memorable experience. I agree. And, and to what you're saying, if he had dealt with me, like the other two did, O'Brien, I'm telling you right now, I had thought based on the two I had already been to really what I wanted. And had I purchased the vehicle that I thought I had wanted, I will almost guarantee that at some point during my lease, I probably would have had regrets. So what I like too is he helped me really not only change my mind, but understand that at some point in time, without thinking through these elements, I may, I may not be making the best decision for myself. So that, that part of it too is what I really, really liked about it. That's a, that's a great story. Can you think of the worst sales experience you've ever had? Or are there too many? Oh boy, there are quite a few. But probably my worst experience came from a certain component re- uh, related to my home. So somebody who wanted to check out an aspect of my home. And he called and I didn't recognize the number. So I, I didn't answer it. He called again. He called a third time. He called a fourth time. At this point, I'm thinking something's happened. Somebody's in trouble. I better pick up the phone. This oh, he's is calling back to back to back to back to back. Back to back to back. Oh, yes, geez. probably within, I, I shouldn't say back to back, probably within a 30 minute time frame, I had four phone calls from this number. That's back and, to back. <laughs> yeah. So I pick up the phone. I'm like, this is Pam. And he said, I'm so-and-so. And I said, sir, I, I just, I have to ask you, was there a reason that you called me four times in 30 minutes? I said, you had me thinking something was wrong. And he said, no, I'm just trying to get a hold of you. And this is usually what I do to get a hold of people. I figure once they see my number enough, they'll they'll want to pick up. And I said, okay, what can I help you with today? <laughs> and he said, well, we're coming out. We're going to be in your area. And this is what we'd like to do. And I said, appreciate it. Not interested. And he was so rude to me. And he said, I have to ask, why wouldn't you be interested in something like this? And I said, his name was John. I said, John, at this point, I don't feel like I owe you that answer. And O'Brien, he dug in and dug in and he said, the service is free. We're going to be in your area. It's not going to cost you anything. And he said, I'm really perplexed as to why you wouldn't want us to do this. And it was such a turnoff to me. And I said, I understand what you're saying, but this isn't something I'm interested in. And he kept going. And because I'm a sales coach, I let him keep going. I wanted to see how he would continue to approach me. And O'Brien, it was nothing but forceful questions, forceful statements, and it did nothing but make me so defensive that at some point, I think we had been talking for maybe six minutes, I simply hung up the phone. And it was definitely one of the worst sales experiences I've had. Yeah. I A client of mine told me a story about one of my competitors who 
called and called and called and called. And she said, look, I'm not interested. And finally, and he just wouldn't stop. And she said, look, if I give you 15 minutes, will you promise to never call me again? And, she, and he said, he said, yes. I mean, isn't that a so shame? Then, so then he shows up at the office. She sets a timer. Her 15 minutes is 15 minutes are up. She says, all right, that's it. And he says, great. So for next steps. And she's like, no, 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 no. And it's just the, the lack of self-awareness that goes on just boggled her mind. And I think that seems to happen a lot for salespeople more than any other profession. It seems like what contributes to that? Why are you know, salespeople so bad? And they get such a bad rap to your point. I, I'll never forget when I told my father that I was going to be going into a sales role. I mean, he looked at me and he said, ah, oh, geez. And I said, well, why are you saying that? And he said, Pam, nobody trusts a salesperson. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. And then, then you get into it and you get into the sales role. And then you start to understand if, you, if you're putting yourself in the role of the person you know, that you're trying to persuade and convince it becomes a lot more uh, identifiable why sales get such a bad rap. You know, we're out for ourselves. We're in it for ourselves. I hear this. I still hear this statement all the time today. I have a family to feed. I have a roof to keep over my head. So innately, I think we all think of salespeople as just very selfish, untrustworthy human beings because we're we're in it for ourselves. We're in it for ourselves. And that's the component of selling that I, I try very hard to get people to, to put aside is this selfish nature of, at the end of the day, this is all about me. Because it, it translates. So how do you define sales or selling then? What is, <laughs> what is the Pam Evanson definition of what selling should be? So for, for me... The, the, the way of looking at selling is I'm here to persuade you, convince you, communicate to you based on what you've shared with me, why my solution, my service, my approach is the best one for you. My now, the way I, I, I would hope that everybody could look at selling is it's my job to help you make the most informed decision for yourself, which means as the salesperson, I have to take a little bit of a different approach because the way I might make this decision isn't necessarily the way the person across the table is going to make this decision. My car example, what this person is telling me may only be surface level. Maybe they haven't thought it through that much. So my job as a salesperson is to really help this human being identify the aspects of what they want to accomplish and why. So I can be an aid in that decision, regardless if I benefit from that decision. And, and O'Brien, this is the part I find is the hardest, letting go of the need to be part of that decision. That I find is the hardest part. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a different shift between I need to convince people to buy what I have and I need to versus I need to find people who need what I have. Yes. Yes, I really like that. That's very different. It's very different. And it's a very different conversation to have with a human being as well. Yeah. I don't, I don't want people to not trust what I'm saying. 
because all that's going through their mind is, I know I'm, I'm your next meal on the table. I'm your potential vacation that you're looking to take. I don't want that to be associated with the conversations I'm having with people. So knowing that that is the bias that every buyer or potential buyer who meets with a salesperson walks into the room with, how do you overcome that? Where do, where do you start? So we talk a lot about you, you have to, it starts with the salesperson. I have to think very differently about what my role and responsibility is in this conversation. And O'Brien, not everybody is going to be able to make that shift in mindset. They're not, but it is the first key. And then I have to be able to verbalize that to the other person. They have to feel my neutrality. They have to believe my neutrality. If I'm going to get this person across the table to open up about the decision they are looking to potentially make. So for me, the the hardest thing is I've got to truly believe my role is to help another human being. And they have to hear that articulated from me. They have to know Pam is going to be okay if I end up not going with her company, her solution, her product, her car. She'll be okay. She's more here to help me with this right now. She'll be okay no matter what happens. So saying that is easy, Mm -hmm. right? You can say it. And I do think it is important to say it. Um, I try to say it. How do you demonstrate it? What are the things that a salesperson can do to demonstrate that they really are okay if the person doesn't hire them or doesn't buy the thing? So for me, that demonstration comes in a lot of different ways through the course of our conversations. Off the bat, like we just talked about, I have to articulate that my life will go on if we decide that this doesn't make sense to keep going down a path, number one. Number two... My job is to understand your perspective, O'Brien. My perspective right now has to go off to the side. I don't know you. I don't know your biases, your past experiences, what you care about, how you make decisions. So the other, the second piece I think that's really important to demonstrate is the fact that I will take the time to learn your lens, your lens. I'm going to be curious. I want to learn learn. And I'm not going to assume I know the answers walking into a conversation with you. I'm going to let all of that go. I'm going to stay in the moment and I'm going to really learn about the human being who's across from me right now without the need to do anything else. To me, O'Brien, not only is that first part really important, but when you can demonstrate to somebody that you really are there to be curious about who they are and what they do and what they're trying to accomplish, you start to feel it. There's an energy in the room that starts to manifest when somebody understands that you're truly taking a genuine interest in them. So for me, we we call it effective questioning. For me, it's that, and you say this all the time, your ability to be curious about me and what it is I'm trying to accomplish, and why I might potentially make a change. Let's go back to the other piece of this, which is walking into the room, feeling like you don't need anything from the person. Because I think, as you and I have talked about before, like these two pieces are intertwined. Like You can't really untangle the two. If you walk in with the wrong mindset, 
you can't really be curious. Nope. And and vice versa. And so how how do you coach people to get themselves in the right mindset and to stay in that mindset? It's a process. It is work. It's not overnight. It's changing some internal behaviors and drivers that I may have as a person. We are not wired to to really want to help, even though we think we are. You know, like I just said, I I hear this from salespeople all the time. I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't want to make a living at it. And we hear this all the time, but I am here to make money. I am here to be successful. Absolutely. Absolutely you are. But there's two ways you can do that. You can do that with this approach that says, you know what? I'm not going to be the answer to what every human being needs. And I have to be honest with myself about that. Or you can take this approach of, oh my goodness, I have to be able to articulate why I'm the best solution answer. And with that type of approach, just for me, for me, not everybody, was a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of riding a roller coaster of up and downs. And I always go back to O'Brien, how is that fair? to the person that I'm sitting across the table from. How is that fair? Why am I nervous about this interaction? Why am I stressed out about this interaction? Why is it that this person is going to feel like I need something from this? And I just don't want that to be how someone feels when they're with me. And so it is like helping people understand there can be a difference on not how the prospect feels, but how I feel too as a salesperson taking a very different mindset. But it's a lot of work. Yeah. And I, I like what you said there too about having two perspectives on sales. Because yeah, I mean, you do have to make money. You do have to sell. Like if you want to keep your job, you got to sell something. Got it. And and there is a lot of pressure in sales because we've decided that the uh incentive, you know, commission model is the way that we should incent all of our salespeople, there's some pressure there and there's stress, right? And it creates that just that model creates some scarcity. And so when you go out into the market, you know, you, uh, you're taking all of that with you and your ability to process that and reframe it in your head is going to dictate whether you come off one way or another. And I, I was thinking, as you were saying that, like, you can sell by taking or you can sell by giving. And great way to say that. And giving might take a little bit longer, but you're going to sell a whole lot more over the course of your career because you build a bigger network, you build more trust, you build repeat customers, you build referral sources, you build, you know, all of that. Even if you're just doing some kind of transactional sale, right? Like even if Absolutely. you're in a car dealership or, you know, at working at the Verizon store. Absolutely. You know, where people just come in and go. But like my my dad had this Verizon rep that he just absolutely loved. And like he would send everybody to this one Verizon rep. And, you know, you don't think of that as a referral-based sales job. But I will bet that he made a lot more money because he treated my dad well and like really helped advise him on what he needed. And my guess is your father probably used the words you can trust this guy. That's why I'm sending him to you Yeah, because you can trust him. Yeah. He'll take care of you. Yeah. 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 And he'll take care of you means 
He's not going to sell you something that you don't need. I mean, we hear that all the time. Every time I'll ask somebody, why are you referring this particular person? Because they'll make sure you get taken care of. You won't be oversold. You won't feel the pressure, like all these things. And it all goes back to, because you can trust this person. They're going to have your best interest at heart, not their own. Well, and that's, I mean, you could view this as a tactic, but we talked about earlier, how do you actually build trust? How do you demonstrate that you're curious and that you're there to help that person? And one of the best ways is by telling them what not to buy. Absolutely. And as, yeah, yeah. So as I'm learning and as I'm curious, I am understanding at the root of it. Okay. I know what they shouldn't do or like even time, right? Timing. Gosh, being able to look somebody in the eye and say, you know what? Based on what you just shared, I can't imagine this is going to be a priority for you right now. Tell me if I'm wrong there. Like there is so much trust that can be established when when you acknowledge what's coming out of their mouth. And so to your point, O'Brien, that's how too we continue to demonstrate it. I'm I am putting on the table that I'm listening to you, that I'm hearing you, and I'm I'm calling out some of the obvious, like this probably doesn't make sense for you right now based on what you're sharing. It doesn't make sense to prioritize this conversation. There's just huge, huge trust solidifying ability when you, when you can do that with another person. This is an odd question, maybe, but do you see a correlation between people who are approaching sales, what I'll call the right way, and people who are also looking to improve themselves in other ways outside of work? Yes, because in general, that means I have to be open to maybe I don't have all the answers. Maybe I don't know everything there is to know. And so just having that level of humility, understanding, I may not actually be the smartest person in the room. That I think that does translate in, in personal, in business, all of it. When I just have this attitude, you know, growth mindset, when I have this mindset that says, hey, who says I have all the answers? Who says I don't have room to improve here? That level of vulnerability, all of it translates. So yes, I do see that correlation. Yeah. I mean, it just occurs to me, I was having this conversation with one of my partners this morning and we talked about the the sales model, as I said, creating scarcity. If just left alone, it creates a lot of scarcity and pressure. And if you're not self-aware enough to realize the negative impact that that's having, you just go on and you behave the way that you are going to behave. And that often leads to bad sales behavior. It can lead to a lot of other bad behavior too. <laughs> but if you are, if you recognize, oh, I'm working in this model, but this isn't what's going to make me effective, you know, I'm going to approach it this other way. There's like, there's just a self, there's like a, a, just a perspective there. I don't know what you'd call it, but maybe it's humility. Maybe it's growth mindset that I would imagine translate in, translates into other aspects of your life. And so to me, it's like, if I'm thinking about if I were running some imaginary sales team, like I'd want to be encouraging that type of introspection and curiosity and humility broadly as a trait among my people. And self-awareness 
I think there's an interesting statistic out there. 95% of people think they're self-aware. The real number is 10 to 15. Wow. And it's for things like that, that you just said. That you just, do I realize that the person across the table probably knows that I'm here because I want or need something from them? How might that affect this dynamic? How comfortable are they going to be opening up to me about what's going on if they know that there's this, this unsaid barrier that I am here to potentially gain from this conversation? So I think the awareness piece is huge. And we're just not as self-aware in these conversations, in these dynamics as we think we might be. Do you have any exercises or any good tips or tricks for people to remain self-aware, especially in the moment? Because what I've seen happen, what I've felt happen in myself is, you know, I'll prep my mindset walking into a meeting. And I used to have a card that was actually taped to the front of my notebook that said, you do not need anything from this person. You do not need them to buy from you. You are here to be helpful. You are here to be curious. And I would read that in the elevator going up to meet with people. But then you get into the meeting and the conversation goes and they go, oh man, we got a real need over here. <laughs> and and you're like, oh, opportunity, you know, I, I maybe I got to meet my quota, like all these things immediately, these emotional reactions immediately kick in. And it's easy to lose that awareness, right? And that perspective. How do you coach your clients to manage that throughout conversations? So. I think one of the the best ways to manage that, hey, I was good until I walked into the room. I always try to help people. Okay, let's think back. How many times have you been in the room and heard, we have immense pain and it still hasn't led to anything? How many times have you heard, my goodness, we're so glad we have a relationship with you, O'Brien, and it still hasn't led to a sale? When a I depressing can, amount. Exactly. And so if we can just tap into that and remember, oh, I've been here before and it doesn't necessarily mean anything yet. That's my biggest trick is to just ground myself in that moment. And remember, I've been here before. I've been here before. And those of us who have been in sales a long time, to your point, O'Brien, a million times. A million times, I can count the number of times I thought, here we go, only to have that process end up doing nothing or make a decision that wasn't me. So I got to remind myself, I've been here before. It doesn't mean anything yet. Just ground yourself, stay in the moment, learn more, continue to be curious and make no assumptions. It's practice, but you have to be intentional about it and you have to start paying attention to when it's showing up. Yeah. I've had a few people on here talk about debriefs, most notably Navy SEAL who came on and was talking about the importance of a post-op debrief and how the first thing they would do when they came back from any mission before getting sleep after being out all night or getting food after having been away all night was to sit down and walk back through the mission and figure out what they did right and what they did wrong. And I think I see it happening sometimes when you do like a team presentation, but it's hard. It's harder to do when it's just you in the meeting, right? When it's, when you've just had an interaction with a buyer and then you walk away and you go on to the next thing, but to say, okay, what really worked there? What didn't work there? You know, where did I start to get squirrely? Where did I start to feel attached again? Some of those prompts, you know, that can be an effective exercise too. And I think it takes a long time 
for you to be able to do that by yourself. But I do feel like, okay, the minute I come back from a meeting, let me grab John Doe. John, just can you ask me questions? Just ask me questions about what I learned today. And as I'm as I'm verbalizing what I learned, ask me more questions. To me, until you get to the point which it took me years to be objective enough about myself to be able to listen to my conversations, evaluate my conversations, and understand where I still needed to ask more questions, understand where maybe I got a little bit too attached to what they said and shortcutted and shared information too early. I think having someone that has absolutely no knowledge of the the conversation to ask you questions to allow you to reflect helps a great deal. Helps a great deal. Yeah, that that's a great point. And I I have a tendency to lone wolf it a little bit too much. And one of the best things that I've done is I just I forced myself. I said, okay, on every deal that comes in where you have an opportunity you have to talk to at least two of your peers to get their take. And I, you know, I call you about that all the time. I call uh, shout out to Bob and Tom in our office. But, you know, it's like, even if I've got a great relationship, even if I have asked a thousand questions and met, known them for years, every time I talk to you or anybody else, somebody brings up something that I wasn't thinking about every time. Amazing. It's amazing. And that's why sometimes I think it's more valuable to, to, debrief with somebody, even when you're in a team dynamic, you know, we'll even find ourselves here saying, okay, are we drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit too much? We're, we're all in this. Who's going to be objective right now? Are, are any of us, do any of us have the ability to be objective? So even like in team dynamics, because as you know, O'Brien, we'll, we'll debrief a lot with teams and the ability for people to be objective does not exist when you're tied to the deal, when you're actually in the room and it's your meeting, it's your prospect. It's tough to do. Yeah. It's tough to do. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell almost, almost every meeting we do a debrief on starts with the comment. I think it went great. (laughs) Okay. What leads you to say that? And it's it's amazing. That doesn't mean we'll win. So let's get into that. Exactly. Let's, let's see if we can identify all the things that the prospect is going to need to make this decision. Do we know all those things? And it is very different than the, I thought it went really well. Okay, why? Do you see how engaged they were? They asked like nine questions. Oh, the meeting went long, 15 minutes. Like all these things that may not necessarily translate into the prospect making a good decision for themselves. It's just stuff that makes us feel good. So let's talk, let's explore that a little bit. Coming out of a meeting, you know, you've, there's all different kinds of sales, but in this case, you know, we talk a lot about business to business sales where you're meeting with somebody in their office or, you know, nowadays on zoom, um, even if it's a team, a lot of times it's a team environment. So you're, you're having a sit down meeting. It's not like somebody coming in off the street and, you know, wanting to buy a cell phone or a car, but I imagine it, it could be similar. You You could do the exercise there too. So what are the questions that somebody should be asking themselves to determine whether it was a good meeting? So the first thing we like to do is identify what did we learn? What did we learn here? How deep did our learning go? Were we able to get the prospect to articulate some of the whys around their responses? Do we understand some of their past experiences? Do we understand how what they shared is affecting their present day situation? 
did we get a little bit of clarity or help them think through what a future state may look and feel like? Did we go deep on a level of understanding outside just the area in which we're speaking to them about? And O'Brien, this is where I find, like, even still today, I have to do a lot of work on this. What else did I find out about the company other than how they're doing with sales and development? How did I do on understanding the landscape of not just potentially what I might be there to help them with, but the landscape, the bigger picture that might help them tie this particular conversation back to their organization? So I always like to start with, what did we learn? What did we learn? And then after that, the next piece is, what did the prospect share in terms of the questions they asked, the level and how deep they went with us? Did we feel like they were guarded? Did they give us one word or one sentence answers? Were they identifying questions to ask us? Did they find anything we talked about relevant? What would they say about this meeting? Because we asked them, not what we think they would say about this meeting. So first, it's the what did we learn? Second, it's the, what did the prospect verbalize? What did we hear from them today? And we got to be honest about that piece. Yeah. I mean, how many debriefs have you and I sat in or deal dissections where we're going through stuff and the question comes up, so what do they want? And somebody says, oh, well, they want X, Y, Z. And then you ask the question, well, did they verbalize that? (laughs) And the person goes, well, I mean, that, that's what they, that's what they were getting at. Here's what I'm interpreting from but, that. Yeah. We're interpreting a lot. We read so much into what these people are saying, usually in our favor, right? Always. We're, we're always biased to, oh, there's an opportunity here. Not, oh, there's some reason that this might be disqualified. And so that, that point about, you know, did you get them to articulate it is a, an important one, I think. And one of the things I write down still to this day, I just did it yesterday on my debrief form is, does this change make sense for them? Does this change make sense for them? Does this decision make sense for them? That's something too, I find really valuable when it comes to debriefs. Because, you know, you got to think about this, O'Brien, if the dynamic that we're walking into ultimately means something has to change on their side of the table, if they're either going to do business with us for the first time because it's not something they've ever experienced, like training and development. We've we've never used a coach. So this will be the first time for us to use a coach. Something has to change. Or if it's, we use a coach right now, but we're thinking about a different option, something has to change. Have I helped them identify? Did I get them to articulate why this change might make sense? And time and time again, O'Brien, it is always, well, here's what I think they would probably say about that versus no. What did I get them to articulate about why potentially making a change like this makes sense for their organization? And how deep did we go there? So that's another thing I like to do is that piece of it around change. Well, and that goes back to your comment earlier about what else did you learn about the context? Because it's one thing to say, oh, the product or service that they're using today is bad. So of course they need mine because it's better. So yes, this makes sense for them. But they've got a thousand other projects going on. They just lost two members on their team. They have no budget. You know, there's like a bunch of reasons why 
it may not actually make sense for them to do it right now. There might exactly. be something else that's on fire right now. And so that's where understanding that context of all the different things going on is important. And it's amazing as a salesperson. So one thing that I've done a number of times is I'll be talking to somebody and they'll say, yeah, we want to do this. We're going to do it around this time of year once we get through these other projects. And I know that those other projects have a tendency to go really long and be really complicated and burn out teams. And just saying, like, do you need to do it this year? Or would it be better to focus on this other stuff and and talk about our stuff next year? And you get people, I mean, one, that builds a lot of trust, right? Because you, you're willing to not make the sale right now. Absolutely. But two, I mean, I've had, I've had plenty of people go, you know what? I'm, I, I appreciate you saying that. I do think that that probably makes sense. And that's, and the reality is that's what it was going to be all along. They were going to push you off. So why not just get them there if it makes the most sense for them? Yeah. And then I've had a few people go, no, 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 we do need to do this. Exactly. And now, you know, they're committed to it. And they're, they're, they're owning it. It's not you saying, here's why I think you should do this right now. It's very, very different when me as your prospect, I can own, I can own this process around the decision. Yeah. That's a good point. I define next steps. I guess I. Yeah, I guess I will try to tell people when it doesn't make sense and then let them tell me when it does make sense. Or or just the, all right, I'm gonna throw something on the table based on everything you just shared. Does it make sense to tackle that this year? Like yeah. just again, at just yesterday, all right, you just, you put a lot of stuff out on the table. Let's talk about training and development, scale of one to 10 on the priorities. Where does this one fit in? What's your number and why is that your number? Like really getting people to think about it versus, to your point, well, we got a lot of projects going on. Then it may not make sense to keep talking. You tell me, what are your thoughts based on what you just shared? Or, you know, okay, so let's talk about this. Where within those priorities would something like this fall? Let's understand that so I can help you figure out if we even need to keep talking at this point in time. So it is this very neutral, I'm not going to read into anything that you're saying. I'm going to get you to talk more about it. Yeah. And that's what I find to be hugely powerful, both for the prospect, but O'Brien, for me, it's so gratifying when you can walk away from the conversation and say, you know what? I really helped that person to determine their next steps or their not next steps. And that feels good. And it feels a lot better than pushing, persuading, selling, convincing. It just feels better to me. And I know that's not going to be everybody. Can you talk about Maybe I'm leading the witness here, but can you talk about the importance of process and activity to help you be able to do that in the moment? Like the impact that having a good process and having the right amount of activity has on the quality of that conversation? Is that leading you too much? It's not. No, it is not leading me too much. I think I'm trying to find a good way to express this. Process is key in making sure that I can continue to have these types of conversations. Because if I don't have a process, it does mean if I if I am unsure, oh my goodness, this conversation with O'Brien might be the only conversation I have all month. There's, there's a lot of pressure there. There's a lot of pressure there. And my guess is I'm not going to be able to operate in that mindset we just referred to if that's how I'm feeling about this conversation. So when we talk about process, we talk about putting the necessary pieces in place 
to ensure that the activity is there for me to be able to operate this way. Because, O'Brien, you are so right. At the end of the day, I have quotas and I have revenue goals to meet. And that's what I signed up for. And that's what I have to be able to demonstrate to my partners, to my company, to my organization. But I've got to balance it with the, I want to make sure I'm operating with a level of intensity around my activity so that I can be neutral in my conversations. So it is this, this, this path of not only conversation, but effort too. Because if I know, oh my gosh, I haven't prospected in the last two weeks. Thank God I have this meeting, but this is my only one. I'm not going to operate that way. And here we come riding the ebbs and flows of sales. And here we come not being able to establish that trust because you know it, O'Brien, and I know it when someone needs something so badly and it's such a turnoff. And I just want to make sure that my process allows me to operate this way in my conversations. Yeah. We, we want to be in relationships with people who don't need anything from us. We absolutely, that's what makes us peers. Yeah. That's well, what, I mean, that's, that's just relationships. Yeah. That's all relationships, right? Like we want we don't want to be married to somebody who needs us. We want to be married to somebody who wants us. Who wants to be there, who wants to engage with us. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no different. No different. Yeah. This is human being to human being type stuff. That's what I love. Like when you can find those principles that go down like, oh, well, what are the principles of sales? Well, it's like, well, what are the principles of relationships? Yeah. And you dive all the way down and there's, there's a few that you can use in any relationship that you want. Yeah. And decision-making, all of it. Absolutely. We're humans. How do you define process or, or how do you help your clients build a process? So to me, process is, is kind of two different things. I already have habits established. I have a certain set of habits that I've established that play out every day for me. It's my daily routine. My process allows me to continue to hone, refine, and evolve my daily routine. So process helps with consistency. Process helps with discipline. Process helps me drop bad habits develop new ones. And process gives me the ability to be more efficient and to take on more. So we'll look at two different things, two different components when it comes to process that what's my current daily schedule, daily routine, daily habits look and feel like, and then how do I keep evolving that so that I can continue to achieve the results that I'm looking to achieve. And it's, it's funny I don't think people pay near enough attention to process as they need to. I always want to be honing and evolving my daily routine to meet where it is I'm trying to go. And I just find people don't, they don't pay attention to it. It is absolutely this. As long as I'm getting what I need, I don't pay attention to how I run my days, my weeks, my months. I don't necessarily pay attention to habits, new ones, old ones. We just don't, don't spend a lot of time on that piece. I mean, that's a podcast episode for another day, but I mean, to how we set up our time to be not only effective, but happy and keep our energy levels up. I mean, there's a lot of work that you can do to evaluate when you do things well, when you don't do things well, and crafting a day that keeps your energy level high. Yep. And I think our relationship with time is one of the most important relationships we have to keep evolving. And I think it's one we pay the least amount of attention to. 
because it's hard. Yeah. Hard. Yep. It's hard. Well, and it's another scarce resource, right? So it, it just slips away and there's so much scarcity around wanting to maximize everything, every little minute or being so overwhelmed by it that you can't even think about it and you just go out and sort of go where the wind carries you. Yep. And that's, for me, process helps with all these different elements that allow you again to have these conversations we keep talking about. Yeah. I know we're kind of limited on time here today and you and I can talk endlessly as we have in the past. So one thing I wanted to make sure that we talked about here is closing because it's one thing to walk in with a curious mindset and try to be helpful for people and ask a bunch of questions and get to know what they want. At some point, you got to tell them about yourself. And at some point, you got to see if it makes sense for them to hire you, right? You, you, you still have your quotas to meet. And I remember, I mean, I came up under the sales tutelage of my father. And you know, one of the first lessons he taught me is you have to ask for the business. So how do you reconcile the need to, I guess this is two-parter, how do you reconcile the need for somebody to get to know you and your services and the need to ask them for the business and, and try to close a deal with staying neutral and trying to help the person and being in an abundant mindset? How do, how do you do that in the right way? One of the things we talk about all the time is I, I'm going into, I'm just taking the lens of a salesperson. I'm going into this business with some with some predetermined notions, whether it's information I got from an outside source, whether it's public information that I obtained, whether it's information on their website, I'm going in with a predetermined bias of why I think that my services, my company is probably going to make a lot of sense for these folks. When we strive to be a little bit more curious, when we don't make any assumptions that not only is now not the time, they may not need us, and it might not be the right fit. Now I understand their perception. And my guess is, like a lot of organizations, when we go in with a predetermined notion, it shuts off our ability to really understand the breadth and depth that our assistance can lend. So if I go in not making any assumptions, even though you know I, I really feel like O'Brien could use what we do right now, but mm, when I get you to articulate, when I understand you a little bit better, then O'Brien, it becomes much more impactful when I share things about my company, when I share things about my services, because I have that word that that what you the word you used context. Now I'm putting it back in your lens. I I call it transferring ownership. So it's not about here's why I think we should do business together. It's I'm glad I've heard you out because I have some things to share that I think you'll appreciate as reasons why we might or should do business together. It's very very different. So that element of let me learn first, because then when I do lay down the assistance we can potentially provide, it's so much more impactful because it's based on information that you shared and you deemed relevant. And then O'Brien, as we keep going down that path, my role, because remember, I learned, I came in making no assumptions. It is so much easier 
to shut a salesperson down when I don't ask enough questions and I do start laying down solutions and what we can do. It's way too easy for you to say, you know what? Our current broker is already doing a lot of those things. Our current advisor is already doing a lot of those things versus let me hear you out. And then I'm going to give you some very solid reasons why we could potentially provide some value, why we should potentially be doing business together. It's a lot tougher for you to say, "Mm, that doesn't make sense. So believe it or not, I find this a lot in my prospect conversations. Let me just be patient. Let me hear you out. Let me understand you. And when I lay things down in front of you, now it's, it's tougher. It's tougher for you to be able to say, well, that doesn't make any sense because it's all within your context as the buyer. Because you've been thoughtful about it. Yes. Yes. And there's going to be times, there have been plenty of times where I've said, guess what? I probably don't need to share anything based on what you just said, because I don't think there's probably much we can help with right now. That happens from time to time. But more often than not, when I get your context, man, can I now articulate in a very different way, not my way, but I can articulate in your words how my company might be able to assist you. And it just changes the dynamic in the room. There's not really an avenue for you to say no to me necessarily, because it wasn't my perception. I'm sharing this information based on your perception and what you shared with me. Now what I think you should care about. So it's amazing. The one caveat with that, that I will say, or the one thing to keep in mind is you can't lose that mindset when you then start to present your stuff. No, you can't. Because that's that they feel that and the guard goes back up and it becomes selling again. You you have to still be trying to help the person. Yes. But now you actually have things that you can help them with. Absolutely. And so now that I've shared these things, let's help you figure out if they're worth getting. And now we take a different phase to the conversation, right? So I've learned, I've listened with some context. I'm sharing some potential ways we can help you. But now I got to help you with that next phase, which is to help you articulate, would these things be impactful? And are they worth taking the risk? And that's a whole different now conversation where I can continue to demonstrate that I really am here to help you make the best decision. So what is, what does that look like then? Cause that, I mean, that's a different, ask, different perspective on closing, right? So what does that look, what do those conversations look like? So to me, closing is when I help you as the prospect get out of your own way. I help provide that level of objectivity that you will not bring to the table because you're a human being and innately you fight change. Now, O'Brien, you want to talk about when the neutrality is important. Now more than ever, it's important in the closing phase because now I am going to take all these things I learned about you. I'm going to lay down how I can potentially assist you And now I'm going to help guide you through a conversation so you can identify the impacts it could have to your organizations and the risks associated with making this decision. And I know as a salesperson, by nature, you're going to have risks. You're going to rationalize and justify because at the end of this, again, is change. And all of us have a different tolerance when it comes to change. And my job in this next part of the conversation is to understand your tolerance for it, how you move through it, what you might need 
to be able to make this decision. And that's, that's, to me, that's closing is when I get you to articulate, here's all the great things about it. Here's the impact it would have on our organization. I'm going to tie this back. I'm going to verbalize why my organization would be in a super place if we did these things. And then I'm also going to identify some of the things that could my, hold my organization back with this. Some of the realities of making this change and tough conversations I'm going to have to have on my side of the table, firing a current relationship, finding money to do this. And O'Brien, as a salesperson, I got to help you with that piece too. I got to help you with that piece too. So we fall short of that piece. We fall short. We do that. I know how we can help. Here it is. Now let's do business together. Yeah. So do you want to buy this versus, you know, is there anything that could, that would get in the way of this happening? Yeah. Asking some of those questions, helping to get context around the closing. Yes. I guess that's an, I never thought about it that way. So that just came out of my mouth, but it's, you know, it is, it's helping them think about the context of buying. Yes. Is, is really a different way to close. It is. And once again, I feel the pressure of needing to ask you these tough questions to help you think through this. I, I can't feel the pressure of convincing you of why you need to do this because we all know how that feels and we all know how that goes. Now, all of a sudden, to your point, O'Brien, uh-oh, what happened to nice neutral Pam that I really could trust? Now, all of a sudden, uh, who's this person? And now it feels like a lot of forcing, a lot of selling. And as a human who's about to potentially make this change, I'm not quite there yet. I still have to articulate how my company benefits from this. And I still have to articulate the risks, the objections we're going to have to work through as a company to realize this decision. Yeah. So I'm not done yet, Pam. Some of the best. I think you got to be careful with. Sorry. Some of the best advice I got um, after starting at Lockton was you have to be consistent the whole time. People want to buy from people who show up consistently. That's trust. Yeah. And if you change, even if you, even if you've been maybe aggressive in the beginning and then suddenly you get soft at the end, like that, like red flags go up. That's weird for people. So they want to know that you're consistent the whole time. So if you're going to go in with the approach that we've been talking about, you have to carry it through all the way to the end. That just has to be how you operate. You absolutely do. Pam, this is awesome. And as every time we talk, I learn something. One final question before you jump, and this is one I ask everybody, what is the purpose of business? Clients. You can't have business without clients. So to me, the purpose of business is serving others. I mean, you don't have a business if you don't have clients. And so serving others, in my opinion, is the purpose of business. And I know from the conversation we've had that the best way to get more clients is to serve everybody well. Well said. There you go. Very well said. Pam, thank you for letting me pressure you into coming on the show here. Uh, I appreciate it. I I really enjoy your perspective on all of these things and uh, appreciate all the help that you have given me over the years. And I'm glad that we get to keep partnering together. Me too, O'Brien. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Hey folks, one last thing before you go. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with future guests. That's it. Thanks for coming. Go make the most of your business and the people in it.